Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. We're a couple weeks into the offseason. The stove's starting to heat up, so it's time to touch base and see where things stand with the Marlins. Uh, We're going to dive deep into the rumors, the murmurs, the talking points, the players who have been receiving interest, the players who have been contacted, the players who may have some offers out there already. We'll get into all of that in a little bit. First, let's start with the acquisition that the Marlins have already finalized. The team on Sunday announced that they acquired right-handed relief pitcher Lewis Head from the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for a player-to-be-named layer or cash considerations. Uh, Head, he's 31 years old, made his MLB debut last season after spending nine years in the minors. He actually was cut during the 2020 season, during the pandemic. He was selling solar panels during that time before the Rays gave, gave him another chance. Right in the spring training, he impressed enough where he was basically able to be their guy who came up, made an appearance or two, went back down to AAA. If I remember correctly, it was about a dozen times where he went up and down. Uh, Overall, he made 27 appearances, including two starts as an opener for the Rays. Had a 2-3-1 ERA, 32 strikeouts against nine walks over 35 innings. Opponents only hit 175 against him. And remember, it was his debut season last year. Only made 27 appearances. He's under team control through the 2027 season. So a lot of control, a lot of basically a lot of a lot of time for the Marlins to keep him under to keep him under their under their head. Whether it's to keep him long term or trade him in the future. Uh, his breakdown: He's a fastball slider pitcher. Threw both pitches basically about 50-50 last year. Although when he's facing lefties, he relies more on the fastball than the slider. Fastball averaged 93.7 miles an hour, topped out at 95.6. His slider averaged about 82 miles an hour. He had a 31.5% swing and miss rate with that pitch. Uh, fly ball pitcher, but only 10% of the balls that were put in play were line drives. It was primarily pop-ups and fly balls. Uh, he only gave up two home runs in 134 batters faced. He was an 18th round pick in 2012. Career 3.57 ERA in 320 minor league games. And another point to recognize here, over the last 12 months since the Marlins, under general manager Kim Ang's first year as GM, this is the fourth time the Marlins have acquired a pitcher from the Tampa Bay Rays organization. You go back to last December, they take Paul Campbell in the Rule 5 draft. Right before spring training, they trade for John Curtis. Uh, early July, when they were up in Atlanta, they traded for David Hess when they gave away one of their lower-level minor leaguers for him. Um, of those three that they acquired prior to or during the 2021 season, Paul Campbell's the only one of them left who's still on the Marlins roster. They traded Curtis to the Milwaukee Brewers for Peyton Henry. They DFA David Hess about a month and a half after trading for him. Uh, we'll see where things land with head. But for them to add head to their 40-man roster and to acquire him through the trade, they had to DFA someone they decided to designate for assignment, outfielder Brian Miller. Uh, he was a comp- he was competitive balance pick a few years back. Uh, made his MLB debut this year. Didn't really get much opportunity. Again, you look at the Marlins' outfielder depth, and there just aren't too many spots to try to crack through the lineup outside of their main gr- that main group. So... Best of luck to Brian Miller. See where he lands. Uh, And with heads addition to the 40-man roster, the Marlins now have 10 relievers on their 40-man roster at this point. Uh, The group, Anthony Bass, Dylan Floro, Richard Blyer, Zach Pop, Anthony Bender, 
Stephen Oker, Paul Campbell, Sean Gunther, and then Zach Thompson. I guess you can count him as a swing man. Made some starts, did some bullpen stuff. Jordan Holloway, I guess, can go in that same boat as well. Uh, and again, the 40-man roster is not set in stone. It's mid-November right now. There's going to be a lot of fluctuation as more moves are made, as more deadlines approach. Uh, the next key deadline is Friday, which is when teams have to add prospects who are eligible for the Rule 5 draft to their 40-man roster to protect them from being poached from other teams. Uh, players who are eligible to be selected in the Rule 5 draft are, for this year, any college players who were drafted 2018 or earlier, or any prospect or who was drafted or signed as an international free agent that was 18 or younger when they signed or were drafted. Anybody in that boat who was drafted in 2017 or earlier. And again, anybody who's on a 40-man roster is protected. Uh, the Rule 5 draft for right now, though, it's tentatively set for December 8th, which is the last day of when winter... the supposed to be the last day of the winter meetings. But of course... If there's no collective bargaining agreement in place, remember we still have that 11.59 p.m. expiration day on December 1st. Uh, who knows how that will happen. But until then, teams have to go as if everything is going according to plan. Uh, for the Marlins, only one player on their, of, among their top 30 prospects is eligible for the Rule 5 draft at this point, And that's outfielder Griffin Conine. The son of Jeff Conine, Mr. Marlin, as some, as most of you know him. Uh, Griffin was a second-round pick by the Blue Jays in 2018 out of Duke. The Marlins acquired him in the at the trade deadline in 2020 for Jonathan VR. Uh, made his debut, his organizational debut this season because again there was no minor league season in 2020, and Griffin Conine looked like what we expect Griffin Conine to be. He has that sheer power. He had 28 home runs, uh, 26 home runs, 36 home runs, my apologies, total during his minor league season. 23 of them in 66 games with Class A advanced Beloit, which is conveniently, side note here, they've changed their name from the Beloit Snappers. They are now the Beloit Skycarp. That was announced on Monday. Uh, and then Griffin Cohen, when he was promoted to double A toward the end of the season, hit 13 more home runs in 42 games. 84 RBI, 63 runs scored. On the flip end of it, there was that astronomically high strikeout rate. 185 Ks and 461 plate appearances. That's a 40.1% K rate. And that rate, when you look solely at AA, jumps up to 47.4%. 82 strikeouts and 173 plate appearances. He knows that has to be cleaned up. The Marlins know that needs to be cleaned up. He's been working on it. He's mentioned it time and time again from the times that we've gotten to talk to him about how he recognizes it and he knows he needs to start figuring ways to adjust and get that K rate down. Um, And with that said, back at the end of the season, when the Marlins held their minor league awards at the, at Lone Depot park on the last day of the regular season, uh, myself and LNB.com writer, Christina DiNicola had a chance to talk with both Griffin and Jeff Griffin was named their class A advanced player of the year. So uh, when he was at Lone Depot park, we talked with both of them just about, Griffin's upbringing, how he got into baseball, overall what it's like for him in the Marlins organization, his thoughts on the season overall, and what they what he's hoping to work on ahead of 2022. So with that, first here is Jeff Conine. Just to have your son, first of all, with the Marlins organization has to be a... It's a little surreal um, to come down here and, and make that drive to the ballpark, which I haven't done in a while, but... Uh, and now he's getting me into the park, not myself, <laughs> which is, is odd, but uh, 
I mean, he's been working his whole life for this, so. Did he, um, I'm assuming growing up, he went to your games? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we spent, he spent a lot of time here at the ballpark. Um, well, the other ballpark, actually. But he, he spent a number of nights here, too, watching, watching ball games, so it's a familiar spot for him. Is he always kind of into it? Like, you know, sometimes parents feel like, oh, you don't necessarily need to do what I do. Was he always kind of attracted to doing baseball? No, not early on. He, uh, a couple years when he was probably 11, 10, 11, he was, he was skateboarding. He was skateboarding. And, uh, you know, we had the conversation at some point saying, I don't care if you ever pick up a baseball bat your entire life. Don't do it because you think you have to. And he just decided, when he was probably 12, he's like, no, I want to play baseball. So that's when, that's when it all took over. And turned out well. What's that? Turning out well. Turning out well. Yeah, he was a late, kind of a late bloomer. Um, because he just wasn't as into it as the other kids. But when he took off, it took off. What's the dynamic between you two? Because obviously now you're in a coaching position and he's trying to get to the big leagues. Do you offer any? Does he welcome advice? Do you offer any? He always welcomes advice. Um, I don't try to be too intrusive, but it's, I, you know, at, at some point you want to intervene because I know what he's going through during the struggles and during the great times, and you, but I want to let him find his own way. But I will ask. I always ask first if he would like any uh, advice, and he always welcomes it every time. So. Uh, there was a play this year he made in the outfield short, recreated the play you made yeah, yeah. left. What was your reflection when you saw that and saw saw people do play side by side? We were actually in uh, South Bend the day before, and then that play happened the day after we left. A couple of his buddies were there, but... Uh, uh, it wasn't really a recreation because his arms way better than mine uh, ever was, but just, you know, it gives me goosebumps thinking about right now, just uh, the comparison and watching it happen. And, uh, it's very cool. And now, here's Griffin. So, Griffin, just how would you evaluate your season? Let's just start off with that. Um, ups and downs, for sure. Uh, learned a lot. And I think the biggest takeaway is like, very clear understanding of what needs to to take the next step, what needs to happen for the offseason, which is take a lot of comfort in that. Because obviously you, you want to finish the season well and um, be proud of what you did. But at the same time, like it's very clear to me what aspects you need to work on and focus on. And that's like exciting to me in itself. Because I feel like with the COVID year, I didn't, you didn't really know what to... We played so without playing for so long. It was hard to prepare without knowing exactly what I needed to prepare for. So this offseason, I feel like, will be a lot a lot more clear-cut in that way. Your dad was saying, too, you're kind of somewhat of a late bloomer. Like, you were into skateboarding, I guess, before you decided baseball. Yeah. So, like, how much, you know, between that and then, like, obviously not having a minor league season last year, are you figuring yourself out as a player and, you know, just that whole process? I think, yeah, I think one of the most important things is knowing your body and that comes with age that's why it's so impressive to me like guys like Juan Soto that are 21 and already seem to have it all figured out which is it's hard because like you you have your body for so long and start to learn mobility cues and things you need to work on of that nature and that's been like the biggest eye opener for me it's like learning your own how your body works the right way which which is huge it's everything uh, what made you decide that's at 11, 12? When, when you decided, what made you decide to want to try baseball out? 
Um, well, I always played, and I think I just think uh, when I got to high school, it started to become like real. I like I was really I was pretty undersized in middle school, and then I kind of like hit a big growth spurt and started to like hit for some power, and then I was like, that's when I like, really was like, all right, this is gonna be what I'm gonna do. Yeah. But um. You mentioned the offseason. What, what are some of the things you uh, will, will you stay down here? Maybe since your dad will be here for FIU. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also uh, I got to go and do some stuff at FIU already. It's awesome. So it's gonna be great getting to getting to go there and do work. And then um, MJ Melendez, you know Murph's son. Haven't met him yet, but really want to work with him because he had an unbelievable season. He's gonna be he's gonna be a stud. Already is. So hopefully learn a lot from him. And uh, hopefully we can do some stuff together. But you mentioned that just obviously I think you guys are in different minor league levels, but the home run chase that was going on is that something you, you know, obviously were aware of and trying to you know, maybe beat him out for? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I was aware of it. Hey, what's um, up, brother? Definitely like not at all on my mind on the field. But it was so cool to see it. Um, just on Twitter after going back and forth, everyone getting involved. You know, his dad retweeting my dad. It's very good. It's so it's such a small world. You know? Yeah, Baseball's it's just say that dynamic. The two of you doing that while your dad and yeah. his dad are basically going to be one-two together. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. You mentioned things working on. Assuming strikeouts is going to be working yeah. on that. That's going to probably be one of the things you're going to try. Yeah, to absolutely. I think the key with that for me is um, uh, off-speed was like a huge. That's what kind of exposed me in Double A, and that's what happens. You know, you get up levels, and pitchers can hone in on your weaknesses better. Yeah, I don't think the competition was was a crazy jump because um, there's good players at every level, but they just get really consistent and they can expose you as soon as you show them anything. And and I did that, um, but also I know exactly how to go about working on it. And I'm gonna get started with that hopefully tomorrow. You got about the camp here, which will be awesome. So I'm excited for that. You had mentioned um, last oh yeah about jumping up a level just. How is that transit? You know, in, in the middle of a season, just having to. Yeah, it was it was weird for me. I've never been. That was my first time being moved in an affiliate in the minors, um, and it, it's weird, just for a lot of reasons. But you know, a whole new team. Obviously, I was traded, so I didn't really know a whole lot of people. So you got to you know, build all these relationships from scratch. And um, yeah, there was I was definitely nervous the first couple games, as much as the you know dad was saying same game between the lines which is exactly right but at the same time it's hard to uh, sometimes you know even knowing that I still was kind of got, got a little jittery but you know after the first week it really is it's all the same you know here's your thoughts on the gun I would say is that like maybe the best advice I've given you or is there something else that's picked out yeah that's that's a good one um Control the controllable is always a good one. You know, you can do whatever you... He's huge big on uh, not worrying about what other players are doing. Prospects, it's so easy to get lost in that. You know, you feel like you're not going to move or do whatever if other players are playing better than you. But if you just control your own, you know, control your own destiny, take care of business, those things work themselves out. Kind of piece point of my question. I was going to ask about some of your outfield teammates, just working with guys like Cam Meisner, Peyton Burdick, Leday, yeah. Connor Scott when you were in low age or in high age. Just that group of outfielders that you guys do have, just how much do you guys push each other and what's it like being in being with that group? Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable how much talent there is in this minor league system, um, especially outfielders. You know, it's like every guy brings something elite to the table, whether it's uh, defending, you know, Meisner. 
Miser like one of the best defenders I've played with in center field. Um, so it was awesome like, getting him, watch him run down balls and. Um, Baudet, I mean, Baudet's professional, great swing, great work ethic. I mean, he's always, he's like me, we're always, you know, we'll be finished BP and then we're looking in the mirror, <laughs> making sure everything's right, always tinkering, but um, I think you have to be like that to, to make it, and I, and I think uh, he absolutely will. And Burdick, I mean, what did you say about him? He's a monster, you know, great year. got to be fun to watch, all three of them, all of us, really. Any 2022 goal for you? Are you a guy that kind of has whether it's numbers, where you want to be at? Um, yeah, I would just say the goal would be be more consistent. You know, that's that's always the goal. I think that's how you make it. Um, so be stay healthy and be, be as consistent as you can be. Keep it simple. Okay, next story of business. Uh, let's take note of where things stand with the Marlins as we move forward with the offseason. General manager meetings were last week out in California, and Marlins GM Kim Ang painted a slightly clearer picture of the Marlins' goals and objectives for the offseason. Based off interviews she did while she was out there, here's where things seem to be heading with the Marlins. Uh, She made it pretty clear that they're most likely not going to be in the market for any of the marquee shortstops. So no Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien. Uh, the qualifying offer isn't necessarily going to be a deterrent on potential free agent targets. So Nick Castellanos, Michael Conforto, Chris Taylor, they're theoretically in this situation. They're still in play. Um, a reminder about the qualifying offer. Uh, if a team signs a player who rejected a qualifying offer and went into free agency, uh, the team that signs them will end up losing a draft pick. How high of a draft pick depends on how big of a deal the player is signed to. But the highest draft pick that can be forfeited or given up is the second highest pick. So the Marlins' top 10 pick, I believe, right, 6th or 7th overall, they, they're they set with that pick. It'll be their second pick, at, their pick after that would be the highest pick they would have to surrender if they signed somebody who was given a qualifying offer that they then rejected. Uh, bats could come via free agency or via trade. Uh, Remember, the Marlins have some pitching depth that they could dangle for potential trade offers. They have some, we can go back to that outfielder depth with the prospects who are hovering toward that AAA level. They could be dangled to potentially flip for some other positions. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit more in a second. Uh, There have been some discussions that have focused on the Marlins so far this offseason. The biggest one, and the name I know a lot of you want to hear about, is Starling Marte. Uh, our Barry Jackson reported the Marlins have made an offer to Marte, but you have to remember, A, it's early in the offseason, and B, Marte is going to have a lot, of, there's going to be a lot of competition for his services. Uh, but based off of different reports and some from some of the other national writers, uh, the Astros, the Phillies, the Mets, the Yankees are all in the mix for Marte, who is really the premier center fielder option among the free agents. And to cycle back, just the quick recap of the Marlins Marte, everything that's gone over the last 14 months with him. Uh, The Marlins acquired him back at the trade deadline in 2020 from the Arizona Diamondbacks to be their center fielder during their playoff run during the COVID-shortened 2020 season. They picked up his $12.5 million option for the 2021 season. And as they got 
further into the season, the Marlins and Marte attempted to negotiate a contract extension. Uh, those deals fizzled out right before, right around the All-Star break. And they couldn't finalize the deal. They couldn't come to terms on an extension. So they traded him to the Oakland Athletics for Jesus Lazardo. Uh, and Marte has made it clear, and the Marlins have made it clear, that they'd be open to a reunion if they're able to get it done. Uh, the price, it's probably not going to be cheap, so we'll see where things land on that front. Uh, a couple other outfielders who the Marlins have either made contact with or have shown interest in, uh, Nick Castellanos and Avisel Garcia. Castellanos uh, was with the Cincinnati Reds, South Florida native, graduate of Archbishop McCarthy High in Broward County. Uh, he's 29 years old, coming off his best year as a big leaguer, set career best marks all across the board offensively, 309 batting average, 362 on base percentage, 576 slugging, 939 OPS, 34 home runs. His 100 RBI were the second most of his career, as were the, his 95 runs scored. Signing him would give the Marlins an automatic middle-of-the-order bat. And just the quick reminder again, qualifying offer was given to him, so Marlins would have to give up a draft pick to sign him if they were able to sign him. Uh, Avisel Garcia, meanwhile, also coming off a career year, said single-season best mark of 29 home runs and 86 RBI. His 820 OPS is the second best of his career. Uh, go back to the offseason after uh, heading into 2019, and he was part. He was a part of group that the Marlins had discussed potentially bringing in. Uh, he he was a name that was floating around. The Marlins had interest in, but obviously things didn't happen. He went to the Brewers, uh, and then another one, a trade possibility that popped up that perked my ears up a little bit. I have intrigue and understand the rationale behind it. Uh, noted by MLB.com's John Morosi. Uh, the Marlins and the Blue Jays. The Marlins acquiring one of the Blue Jays catchers in exchange for one of their starting pitchers. Thought, the thought process behind this one. The Marlins feasibly at this point have seven legitimate candidates to be part of their starting rotation uh, to begin the 2022 season. Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Jesus Lazardo, Sixto Sanchez, and Eduard Cabrera. Uh, three of those pitchers, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and Eliezer Hernandez, are all heading into arbitration this year, their first of three years of arbitration. Uh, when you look at that group, and again, this group doesn't even include the Jordan Holloway, Braxton Garrett, Daniel Castano, Zach Thompson likes, who are your pitching depth, your same tier of guys, or your Max Myers, your first-round pick from 2020, who finished in AAA and had a very strong minor league minor league season. Uh, you look at that group, if the Marlins are able to flip a Pablo Lopez or an Eliezer Hernandez, get your starting catcher and potentially get another prospect, especially if you're trading Pablo Lopez, at this point you were going to want to try to get more than just one guy out of Pablo if, you're, if you are trading him. Uh, if you're able to get your starting catcher and a guy who you feel confident is going to be your guy for years to come, it makes sense. Trade away one of your arbitration guys. Look at some of these other guys who are going to be long-term fixtures in your rotation and start getting that next tier ready. Uh, in terms of what catchers specifically from that group with the Blue Jays, uh, it, would, it would appear Alejandro Kirk would be the most likely guy that the Marlins would pursue and the Blue Jays would be willing to give up. 
Uh, Kirk just turned 23 years old. He's under team control for five more seasons. Uh, played 60 games last year, slash line 242 average, 328 on base percentage, 436 slugging. He was a top five prospect in the Blue Jays organization per Baseball America before graduating from prospect eligibility. Again, a young guy, a guy that the a guy that is seen appears to be on the up and up. Made some made, had some time in the big leagues and seems to be a guy who could be a potential look in the future. And again, the Marlins still have on their catching side. They have to figure out what they're doing with Jorge Alfaro. They have to figure out if Nick Fortes or Peyton Henry are going to be your number one or number two options. Ideally, one of them will be your number two. The other guy will be in AAA. But it's something that's out there. It makes sense logically. We'll see where things unfold. And again... We have about two weeks for action to be made before the CBA expires unless MLB and the Players Association are able to get things done. We will see how all of that goes. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And on the back half of the show, we'll dive into some Arizona Fall League action with that, with the AFL heading into its final week. So we will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we're back, everyone. To wrap up this week's episode, let's head back out west to the Arizona Fall League, which is heading into its final week, and where Marlins outfielder prospect J.J. Blade has continued his late-season resurgence. Blade won MVP honors at the AFL's Fall Star Games on Saturday after going 2-for-3 with a two-run home run and an RBI single while starting and playing five innings out in left field. And the third out, his one out was, should have been a bloop single, but... Outfielder made a great play, robbed him of a hit, but still two for three, two home, two run homer, three RBI. That's pretty solid out there. Uh, and Blade has been solid throughout the entire fall league. Uh, through games played on Monday, he ranked second with 24 RBI, fifth with a 1047 OPS, sixth with a 600 slugging mark, and eighth with a 329 batting average. And twice already in the fall league, he came a triple shy of hitting for the cycle, and he also has five home runs. It's refreshing to see, especially after Blade went through the struggles that he did throughout his first full season of pro ball in AA. Uh, Marlins GM Kim Ang said in an interview on MLB Network last week that they're anticipating Blade start, if not starting, very quickly getting to AAA in 2022, which just puts him one step closer to the big leagues and... Again, when they picked him in the first round back in 2019, they expected big things out of him. They liked what they saw in Vanderbilt. They liked what they saw in him in the Cape Cod League before. They liked his professional approach. 
and his knowledge of the strike zone and his knowledge of himself and when he needs to make adjustments. So to see things finally starting to turn the corner, the hope is that it will continue going into the 2022 season and we'll see where things go from there. Uh, Bladet's not the only Marlins outfielder to watch so far in Arizona. Cam Meisner selected in that same draft class. He's been streaky at times, but there are a lot of things to like about what he's done out in Arizona. His seven home runs are tied for second in the AFL, and 10 of his 14 hits have gone for extra bases, the seven home runs plus three doubles. He's also drawn 20 walks, which is second most in the AFL, and that's helped him get a 387 on base percentage despite only hitting 203. I had the chance to talk with Meisner on the phone last week about his takeaways from his time in the Fall League, his 2021 minor league season as a whole, the internal competition among the Marlins outfielders' prospects, and his plans for the offseason. Here's that interview. First off, how's the Fall League treating you? Uh, it's going good, man. I'd, uh, I'm excited to be here, and you know, we, don't, we don't have much longer left, so I'm just trying to finish it out and continue to, continue to get better for next year. Yeah, and I want to say to start off, I mean, seven home runs, we're really seeing you start tapping to your power. What's the secret? Uh, <laughs> secret? I don't think there is much of a secret. <laughs> I'm just trying to find a good pitch and, uh, you know, be disciplined and put a, put a barrel on it. And after that, just let it happen. Is the power that you're showing out there, I mean, I know we saw some of it in spurts over the last two years, but is it surprising you in any way how you're doing it? so consistently out there or is this you finally getting into that groove that you've been trying to get into? Uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, I've always had the, the power and the leverage, uh, just putting myself in more consistent, you know, consistent spots at the plate and just having a better approach and knowing, knowing what I want to hit and how my swing plays for certain pitchers and, you know, ultimately just getting a good pitch and, and really putting a good swing on it. And that's what I'm really trying to, trying to hone in on. Overall, those last two months of the minor league season, the last month in Beloit and that time you had in Double A, just seeing how everything really came together, uh, you reached base almost every game, you were able to limit your strikeouts. Uh, was what do you think factored into the consistency you showed there, and how much you, how much did that help to see those results, especially after not having a season last year and having to basically refine that routine, refine that rhythm at the start of the year? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's always nice when you, when you get a, when you, when things start clicking together, cause you, you know, the more hits you get, the more, more damage you do, it's, you know, the more confidence you have. And that's, that's, you know, that goes for everybody. You know, the more success you have, the more confidence you have. So it's, it's always nice seeing things, seeing the work you put in, uh, kind of, kind of translate to the game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think being in Beloit, there's, you know, I was working on a lot of stuff, just being a, being a young hitter, just not having as many ABs, just it was nice getting more ABs and being able to work on some of the stuff that I've really been trying to work on to clean up and and having more ABs. It slowly, it slowly, uh, slowly just continue to to make me better. And uh, you know, I'm excited where I'm at, and you know, I'm glad that all the work I put in is just slowly, you know, it's making me uh, better and better. Yeah, uh, how important was it for you to get extra playing time? Whether it was what you're doing now in the fall league or possibly going out to winter ball if you didn't do this. Was this something that you wanted to do or a priority on your end? I mean, yeah, so as many at-bats as I can get it is, uh, is definitely a priority for me. Um, I, you know, I love playing, and, you know, it's been a long year, especially after having a whole year off, but, you know, I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad I'm getting ABs and, 
I'm glad I can continue to continue to work on uh, what I need to. Yeah, uh, physically and or mentally, what were those challenges of the start of this year, especially after, as we've said so far, not having that minor league season last year? What were the challenges coming into this year on your end? Challenges? Uh, it was mainly more of a more of a physical standpoint, just you know how I wanted to you know go about my work. I mean, uh, just how I just did different, different hitting mechanics and. And approach based stuff and really just, just doing, just honing in on, on how I can allow myself and my swing to, to really come out and play. Um, you know, either I've always had a good swing and I've always been athletic, but it, you know, there's, there's times where it just doesn't translate. And, you know, I found a, you know, I've kind of became more knowledgeable about myself and how my swing plays and how I can get to different pitches and how pitchers are going to work me and, you know, how pitchers are going to, you know, these pitchers different, you know, how they're going to attack me and how, how I can attack them. And that's something that, you know, it's really helped me out a lot. Yeah, and we've seen the offense numbers, but defensively, how much pride do you take in what you do in the outfield and specifically your ability to play all three spots really well? Right. You know, I, uh, I mean, yeah, defense is, you know, a really big part of the game. And it's just, uh, just knowing that, you know, every – being an outfielder, you can kind of get distracted, and that's as soon as you get distracted, that's the that's the time they hit it to you. It seems like <laughs> <laughs> so just being being prepared every pitch and and trying to stay mentally, you know, in the game, and just kind of you know not taking it for granted, having that year off, and you know being back home, I was excited to play, and you know just playing each game this year, just not taking anything for granted, you know. Definitely. Uh, big picture, when we look at the Marlins organization, uh, you look at the crop of outfielder prospects you guys have. Obviously, you, JJ, Peyton, Griffin Conine, uh, and then up in the big league level, Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz basically getting that time toward the end of the year. What is it like from your standpoint being teammates at that, with that group and just having that internal competition with a lot of these guys? How much does that push you? And just what's the camaraderie and competition level like between you guys? Yeah, I mean we're all you know we're all we're all good friends and we all we all show up each day you know competing and at the end of the day we are kind of competing with each other and also against each other. But it's uh you know I think it kind of fuels all of us to to want to be better and want to want to get ourselves better. Uh, but I also think you know at the at the end of the day it you know hopefully we're all on the same team together and we can we can put everything we we have together and, you know, win. Yeah, you've been out there in the fall league with JJ. What's it been like? And you were with him in double A at the end of the year. What has it been like watching him and what stands out about his game? JJ? Yeah. Uh, what stands out? Uh, it's just, you know, it's just the competitiveness, you know, not, uh, not laying down just in every pitch. Uh, you know, his drive to show up each day and wanting to be here and, you know, it goes a long ways. And that's something that, uh, that I like. It's not, you know, there's somebody else that shows up with you wanting to be there. It, uh, it's good. Yeah. And you mentioned you got about a week and a half left in Arizona and then hopefully in about three months, spring training will be starting up. What's, what does Cam Meisner have in store for this last bit of time in Arizona? And then what do you have plans for the off season? Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, you know, hit the, the time I'm here in the fall league, I'm just gonna continue to, you know, try and get better and try and try and focus on what I have to do and, I'm just going to roll with it into the off season. We'll take a little time off, you know, uh, get away from it, 
get to get back to missing it. And I think that's a big thing about baseball is playing every day is you got you got to miss it. And uh, so I'm gonna take a little time off, and then you know I'm gonna I'm gonna get back into it hard, and you know, I'm looking forward to spring training. Have any plans in mind or plans already set up for that time when you're taking away from the field? Plans? No, not much plans. I probably probably do quite a bit of hunting though. <laughs> there you go. It's kind of how I spend my time. Nice. Uh, and also, just wanted to get some background from you, since we never really talked about your time before coming into the Marlins organization. What got you into baseball in the first place, and sort of what sparked your interest into hoping and wanting to make a professional career out of it? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, in high school and growing up, I, uh, I, mean, I played every sport. So I enjoyed, you know, every sport. Different friends have each sport, and and then growing up, I just slowly began to like baseball more and realized I was a little better at it than, you know, all the other sports. So, you know, it really drove me to, you know, see how long I could play. I just love the, I love the game and I love the camaraderie in the locker room with everybody and, you know, the everyday grind. I just did, I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's something that, you know, I don't want to end. So I think that's what kind of makes me show up every day. Was there a certain moment in high school or whenever when you realized, Hey, this might actually come to fruition is my, I might actually have a chance at this. What, was there a moment where it clicked for you? Uh, well, my sophomore, my sophomore year, well, going into my junior year, I had a little, little growth spurt. Um, I think I got a little bigger and I, and I started hitting the ball a little further and just started growing into my body. And I, I realized that, you know, I was, I was pretty good. I, I had a, I had a chance at the next level and I just, you know, I just wanted to take it and take it and run with it. Awesome. That's everything I need. Cameron, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck the rest of the way in the fall league and looking forward to seeing you in spring training. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. The AFL season ends on Saturday, and then after that, we are fully into the offseason mode. Uh, we'll give w- one more recap in next week's podcast, and in that one, we'll also start diving into winter ball, uh, see what's going on out in the Dominican and Venezuela, and just catch up on the Marlins prospects and players who are playing abroad over the winter. And finally, to wrap up this episode, congratulations are in order to Marlins left-handed pitcher Trevor Rogers. He finished as the runner-up in the National League Rookie of the Year ballots uh, as voted on by members of the Baseball Writers Association of America. Cincinnati Reds second baseman Jonathan India, Coral Springs native, Florida Gator standout. I covered him a couple years in UF. Great guy. Uh, He won the award. It was a runaway. India got 29 of 30 first place votes. Trevor got the 30th of those votes. Uh, Rodgers, he was great this year. I mean, we started 25 games. 2-6-4 ERA was the best among qualified MLB rookie pitchers. He led National League rookies with 133 innings pitched. 218 batting average against. 1.15 walks walks and hits per innings pitched. 157 strikeouts and 10.62 strikeouts per nine. Uh, since the mound was lowered in 1969, Rogers is one of seven rookie pitchers who had a who had at least 157 strikeouts, 133 innings pitched, and an ERA as low as Trevor did. Uh, of those seven, Trevor and uh, I and Mark Eichhorn in 1986 were the only ones who didn't win Rookie of the Year. The other five were Jose Fernandez in 2013, Hideo Nomo in 1995, Dwight Gooden in 1984, Fernando Valenzuela in 1981, and John Matlack in 1972. Uh, Trevor 
again, the start to his season was phenomenal. Back-to-back NL Rookie of the Month awards in April and May. He was the Marlins All-Star Game representative. And he just was that stabilizer that the Marlins needed at times, especially when the rotation quickly went from being potentially one of the best in baseball to losing two guys right out of the gate and the Marlins really needing him, Sandy Alcantara, and Pablo Lopez to carry the load each time they were on the mound every five days. Uh, second half of the season, he had some speed bumps. Uh, he missed the game after having a muscle uh, back spasm, a muscle, back, muscle spasm in his lower back in July, and then he missed all of August when he dealt with some family stuff. Again, we touched on this back when it happened. Both of his parents tested positive for COVID. Both of his grandparents passed away. His grandfather's passed away, I should say. So he spent that month with his family out in New Mexico. And then it took a couple starts in September before he truly got back to form. But in that those final five starts after missing a month, 3-5-2 ERA with 28 strikeouts against six walks. Uh, that really, him missing that month and him having that slow start back, more than likely was the difference between him winning and finishing runner-up. But still, he him going as far as he did and him making the adjustments that he did, especially after getting hit hard his in that small sample size when he was in the big leagues in 2020 at the end of the season when the Marlins made the playoff push. He really took all of the mistakes and all the lessons that he needed to learn from that 2020 season and applied it in 2021 and really showed that he could be and most likely is going to be that number two after Sandy Alcantara. And it's what he was able to do in translating the mistakes into successes that the Marlins are hoping to see from the likes of Edward Cabrera in when as he moves forward into 2022. And hopefully in Sixto Sanchez as well after he missed all of this season with a shoulder injury. So we'll see what happens there. But again, congratulations to Trevor. And with that, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll be back again next week.